Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the x Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best way to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone today and save $20 off your first purchase by using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of April 30th, 2018. On this week's episode, we'll take a deep dive look at the Winston-Salem Dash with the voice of the Dash, Joe Weil. We discuss how Omar Vizquel is handling managerial duties for the first time, the outfield logjam, what's up with Mike Rodolfo's elbow, and the progressions for Dane Dunning, who just got recently promoted to Birmingham, and Dylan Cease. We covered a lot of areas concerning the Dash, so for White Sox fans that are really interested on what is going on with one of the minor league affiliates, you'll definitely want to listen to that conversation. Speaking of the minor leagues, we have our minor league report as Eloy Jimenez is on fire after breaking off the early season rust, and we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. We'll start this week's show recapping the series in Kansas City as the White Sox took three out of five against the Kansas City Royals. Joining me as the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Today is the last day of April, which means one month of baseball down, five more to go for the White Sox. How would you grade the first month of action for the Chicago White Sox? Well, it's definitely been disappointing, but also weird and not feeling like anything normal. I mean, between the snow outs that started the season, 
Um, you know, the Danny Farquhar situation, you know, Rick Renteria having his own personal loss. It's been a really rough month, and in some ways it's the kind of thing where you, know, you set aside wins and losses and just hope people get better. You know, you kind of focus on the human level of the White Sox, which I think is good in a way, and, and you know, it's something I think uh, you know, that tends to only come up during times of hardships and, and personal tragedies that everybody can relate to. So, you know, that part is unusual and such. And But I think, you know, with this last series in Kansas City, assuming that the White Sox can play as well in other places besides Kansas City, um, it seems like maybe this is the final um, twist in, in a very weird month where now everything starts tilting towards normal and routine and, you know, starters go six innings and hitters don't hit – Oh, 90 something with runners in scoring position and you just get like a more normal ordinary kind of below average which I think is what we're expecting for the White Sox this season. Yeah after the first month of the year of course it includes the two games in March uh, as we're discussing this uh, the White Sox record is 8 and 18 and just looking at the offensive category leaders uh, Matt Davidson leads the team in home runs with nine Matt Davidson leads the team and runs batted in with 18 Matt Davidson leads the team in on-base percentage at 375. Matt Davidson leads the team in slugging percentage at 609, which means that Matt Davidson leads the team in OPS at 984. Matt Davidson also leads the team in weighted on-base average, which is valuing the outcomes of each plate appearance differently than treating all hits and walks as the same, as his weighted on-base average is 416. Uh, The only things that Matt Davidson doesn't lead the team in offensively is stolen bases, batting average, and overall looking at wins above replacement. Yuan Mikata leads the White Sox in that category at 1.3 wins above replacement on fan graphs and 1.1 wins above replacement on baseball reference. All right, Jim, Matt Davidson, very good month, very entertaining when he is playing at Kauffman Stadium as he had another huge series this weekend. Mm -hmm. But I took a look at the numbers in more detail. Against the Royals in 2018, Matt Davidson is at an insane 9-for-18. That's a 500 batting average for those that have difficulty with math. Uh, Seven of those nine hits are home runs, and he's got 12 (laughs) runs batted in. Against every other team that's not the Royals, Davidson is 10-for-61. That's a 164 batting average with two home runs, six runs batted in, and he's striking out 40% of the time. Jim, is Matt Davidson's good April a mirage? In some ways, yes. I think, you know, fatting it up against the Royals, which, you know, they have, they don't have the bullpen, nearly the bullpen they used to have, and their rotation has been dinged up as well. I think a lot of hitters are going to look good against the Royals. I don't think, you know, hitters are going to look so good against the Royals like Davidson because he's already set records and nobody's come close. <laughs> so it's not like, uh, you know, the Royals have a, uh, uh, in a team ERA of 27. So, you have you have to adjust for a little bit, but well, you know a lot of that is real. But I think you know, when you look at Anderson's perform, or sorry, Davidson's performance, and just the way he's going about his business, he is more selective. He's drawn a fair amount of walks. I think he's up to thirteen walks, which is you know close to his entire season last year. He's definitely on pace to blow well past that. Uh, he's trying to be more selective. I think sometimes umpires have uh, you know not been kind to him when he's tried to be selective with two strikes he's been rung up looking and he's had to wear it and he's had some games where he struck out you know three times and he seems to bounce back so i think we're seeing a bit more resiliency from him uh 
I think the 900-something OPS is a mirage, but um, given the, you know, the, the twists and turns his career has taken and just, you know, the the amount of time he spent in the dumps in Charlotte just trying to get his career back together. Yeah, I just, uh, and, and being that we're both, uh, you know, we're birthday buddies, I generally side with him and, and hope that he, uh, yeah, I'm happy to see him succeed however, ha- however it happens, however sketchily it happens, just because he's been through so much. But I'd expect that to come down. But I think when you look at his discipline numbers, I think there is some real improvement in store for him, even if it does, you know, even if he's not going to be the team leading hitter in all categories that he is right now. I mean, it is entertaining as hell to watch him dominate yeah. the Royals at Kauffman Stadium. By the way, for those that were updating the Wikipedia pages, <laughs> For the Kansas City Royals and Kauffman Stadium over the weekend, uh, well done. Well done to change the uh, the owner of the Kansas City Royals to Matt Davidson mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> the owner of Kauffman Stadium to Davidson as well. Uh, as it's just amazing on how well that he's playing against the Royals. And with the White Sox winning three out of five this weekend and winning the first two games of the year in Kansas City, uh, I was surprised that the White Sox are starting this well against the Royals just because they've been a pain in the neck for the White Sox. And that as we speak, Jim, the White Sox are five and two and they only have one more series for the rest of the season in Kansas City. So Matt Davidson's only got three more games at Kauffman Stadium to beef up his numbers. But he already holds the records. That's the great thing. At least the home run records. Yes. Yes, it is. For opponents. So that's that's, that's really remarkable. It really is. Also very remarkable and a great takeaway from this weekend is Carson Fulmer. In his last start against the Royals, he pitched seven scoreless innings. And now, Jim, after his start against the Seattle Mariners, that's back-to-back good starts for Fulmer. Better starts than what Lucas Giolito has been currently having for the White Sox. And we often hear from Steve Stone during broadcasts that when a pitcher is in a good rhythm and everything's working well for them, they want to work fast. But that's been the opposite for Fulmer. What we are hearing on what has been leading to Fulmer's success the last two starts is that he's slowing it down. So I pose the question, Jim, is working slower better for Fulmer long term? Well, I thought that saying from Steve Stone was kind of a tautology or you know a self-fulfilling prophecy that when a pitcher is struggling, he's going to be laboring, and when he's going to when he's pitching well, he's going to be working fast. You know, base runners leads to a pitcher slowing down naturally because of you know, holding runners and pickoffs and such, and uh, you know kind of high stress pitches and throwing twenty five thirty an inning is going to tire a pitcher down. So. You know, as much as you'd like to see a pitcher work fast when he's battling base runners, you know, he's not going to, um, you know, for strategical reasons, and he's probably not going to for physical reasons, just trying to gather himself. So um, I've, it kind of annoys me a little bit, or it feels incomplete when he when he says that. But I think Fulmer, the key to him is just finding something that he can repeat. And, and you know, we've talked about that with, with his delivery, but I think it's also a matter of his routine, whatever it might take. Is that you know when he with his delivery we've seen him you know when he had Vanderbilt he had the really herky jerky uh, wind up and leg kick and you know he kind of stomped around the mound working quickly and now I think trying to slow it down I, I think it's affected his entire tempo just with everything he does so um, 
I really don't know what the answer is for Fulmer when it comes to the speed of his delivery and what works for him because, you know, there are pitchers who are unusual. And I imagine the White Sox have the reasons for slowing him down because, you know, it's, uh, you know, his fastball curveball combination in college was really dominant for Division One hitters, but in the majors, the the command isn't there, so they want him to be able to repeat his delivery. But I just think, you know, whatever works for him, and if it's slowing down and and not having such drastic swings from uh, bases empty to base runners on, and and being able to just maintain everything from the time he receives the ball to the catcher to the time he lets it go. Um, I'm, I'm all for it because I do think pace is a bit overrated uh, as as much as we'd like to believe, you know, as much as, you know, fans and broadcasters would like to see pitchers work quickly and be rewarded for it. I don't know if that's always the case. Do you think we're just spoiled as White Sox fans watching Mark Burley do it for so long? Yeah, I think it's that. And I think partially the White Sox use Burley as a um, as somebody to emulate for young pitchers. So I remember Clayton Richard working even faster than Burley at times. Um, and John Danks worked quicker and Gavin Floyd picked up. And I think, uh, you know, and, and their young pitchers, they stress that. So um, I, I don't think it's just completely uh, disconnected or unrelated to Burley. But, yeah, it just he tends to be just uh, front and center of everybody's mind when it comes to pace because he was you know, the rare pitcher who did work quickly even when he was being beaten around. So uh, And he was so good against the running game that he didn't have to uh, really work so much on you know varying his you know, delivery times and holding the ball because he had the pickoff move. So I think the, you know, that might be part of it too is that you know, when you're a lefty with a great pickoff move, you can work at whatever pace you want. When you're a righty who uh, can be run on, then you have to hold on to the ball a bit longer and you know that might be part of the problem here so yeah uh as, as much as ever we wish everybody were burly i think there are only a few pitchers who can do it all the time yeah for kirsten fulmer now he has five starts again he did have that one outing coming out of the bullpen he has pitched 25 innings his era is 4.32 and in comparison to lucas giolito who's at 25 and two-thirds innings pitched Giolito has given up 10 more earned runs than Carson Fulmer. And Fulmer has 18 strikeouts to 13 walks. That is not a great ratio. Giolito is at 21 walks to 11 strikeouts. So I know that we've been power ranking the starting pitchers for the White Sox like every single week. Obviously, number one right now is Ronaldo Lopez. He's pitching the best out of everybody. Mm-hmm. But if you're just looking at the numbers and with his last two starts, it's like Carson Fulmer is the second best starter for the White Sox at the moment. Yeah, and <laughs> James Shields is probably third. So um, that's how – it's both how well Fulmer is pitched and just how bad the competition is that you know that they can vary so wildly. And our, uh, the way we frame pitchers – against each other can just swing so drastically it just it's been that weird of a month yes it has been that weird of a month that's a good way of putting it last but not least and this is a topic that i'm just over i'm just over this Mm -hmm. uh tim anderson pissed off another opponent this time kansas city royals catcher salvador perez and for those that missed this weekend's games tim anderson let off the game with a home run in the loss on Saturday night, the second of the doubleheader. And he was very excited, like he typically is. And I've said it on this show, I like the swagger. And he comes across home plate, and Salvador Perez has something to say to Tim Anderson. Anderson didn't really think much of it because he patted Perez on the chest protector as he is going to the dugout. 
Uh, later in that inning, as the Royals are making a rally, Perez gets to second base as the bases get loaded. And uh, he and Anderson continued the conversation from home plate. And benches ended up being cleared. Uh, Joe McEwing was very quick to the draw, running straight to second base to separate Tim Anderson and Salvador Perez. And of course, both had to say their pieces to the media, in which Perez doesn't really think that Anderson has the right to be showing that type of swagger or that emotion because he's never played in a playoff game and he's never been in the World Series and Perez has and blah, 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 blah. And I'm over it, Jim. I'm just over Mm -hmm. veteran players acting like the fun police. It's getting exhausting. But this is a question that came across my mind this weekend. This is now twice this year, Justin Verlander and now Perez. Is Tim Anderson going to be the one player in the White Sox that opposing teams fans are going to hate? I don't know if he'll be that good for where where yeah where he'll be that front of mind for teams to where yeah I guess he won't stand out in any way. I, you know, right now he's having an okay season, um, you know, an improvement over last season, but hasn't yet kind of put together the month that he had in September, you know, where he gets on a hot streak and dominates a series. We haven't seen that from him. He makes errors. So, you know, there's kind of a, a self-humbling mechanism in place for him uh, to where, you know, nobody has to do it for him or fans don't really ache to see that. And he's not as over the top as, you know, like say Carlos Gomez was or Fernando Rodney or, uh, you know, these, these guys who, you know, have these you know elaborate routines. He, you know, he's not that, I guess his his quirks or his energy or whatever you want to call it is not that established yet. So, you know, maybe divisionally, you know, given that they're 19 games a year, you know, maybe, you know, the Royals will dislike Tim Anderson, the Royals fans will, or maybe Detroit or, you know, teams in the Central. But when it comes to teams that only see him, you know, twice a year, you know, or two series a year, I don't know if he'll be front of mind enough to do it. And I imagine at some point, you know, with, with unwritten rules and how – many there are and how tough they are to define them. I think, you know, home fans might be, yeah, or or the opposition's fans might be less receptive to those arguments too. I, yeah, that's my reaction right there. Just a big sigh. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, with Perez and, you know, I understand the, um, the urge to tell him to pipe down, especially given the context of the series, three straight losses, eight, nothing drubbing in the first game, Kauffman stadium, you know, their home field, they're getting blown out. I can see why Perez would have the urge to say something and, and have the urge to carry on second base. Um, you know, there is some respect, um, you know, not, not Anderson respecting the game, but just the, uh, you know, the Royals not feeling like they have a lot of dignity and I can see Perez, you know, you know, the way Anderson tried to fire up his teammates by, you know, celebrating his homer, I can see Perez trying to get Royals rallying around him by standing up for the team. So I can see that being the case a little bit. And if, you know, he didn't have much to say after the game and if he left it in the field, I could understand that. I think when it comes to these these kind of weak explanations after the game, that's, you know, where they try to have to reverse engineer how, um, you know, Tim Anderson offended them and why that would be relatable to the public. That's where I think they get lost and it comes off as weak. So, um, you know, I, I like seeing these different person- personality styles clash. Um, and, and that would be fun and, and, and fascinating in and of itself. It just, uh, <laughs> I think maybe they just shouldn't try to explain it anymore. That's a good point. Just leave it on the field. Just tell the media what I said to Tim Anderson stays on the field. That's it. And then move on. I agree with that. Yeah. It's just that 
with baseball, quote unquote, having a marketing problem because a lot of people don't know about Mike Trout or oftentimes baseball is looked at not as a national game anymore, but more of a local or regional game that teams, the fans of teams only know certain players outside of their favorite teams. When you have situations like this and you have players trying to regulate, and it's just not Tim Anderson, it's across Major League Baseball, uh, where they try to regulate on the way that you're supposed to act on the field, I just find it that it's like veteran players want the they they want to operate like robots, like it's boring, like there's no excitement on the field, there's no fist pumps or anything like that. You hit a home run, put your head down, go around the bases, act like you've been there before. I don't know how many times I was told that when I played high school baseball. I'm sure anyone else that's played. Any other sport other than baseball has probably been told by a coach at some point, act like you've been there before. Did you pimp it in high school? Me? Yeah. Uh, the uh, the inside the park home run I had, you bet. Awesome. I took I took my helmet off and you know you know how they do in college, everyone takes their helmet off and you hit each other's helmets and everything. Yeah. But my coach was a really old school guy. I mean, he was like sixty years old and you're supposed to shake hands and keep quiet and don't show up the other team. Like, I don't know how many times I heard that when I played, uh, you know what? This is professional sports, man. This is entertainment. When Tim Anderson hits a bomb, I want him to have that great swag. I, I love that about it. And you know, it's just not Anderson. Javier Baez on the North side of town. Baez is the same type of player, you know, the same type of way when he hits a home run, you know, it's gone. Uh, even if it's a short pop fly, maybe the swing looks the same. But when he makes a great tag, I mean, the World Baseball Classic, everybody remembers that, the no-look tag. You know, that could be looked at showing off or showing up a, an opponent. I'm just, I this is something that baseball just needs to stop. The unwritten rules and the explanation of unwritten rules so far in the month of April from Brian Dozier and Justin Verlander and Salvador Perez, which... You know, all the AL Central favorites, except for Verlanders with Houston now. Uh, I just think this needs to end because this is where this is a topic that I'm just going to check out from now on because it's just not worth talking about. Yeah, I think I'm within reason. I wouldn't want to see every player, um, you know, have that kind of. I like everybody playing within themselves or being themselves. I like Robinson Cano a lot. He's like one of my favorites to watch just because he's so he makes everything look so easy and so routine. And there isn't a whole lot of. There, there isn't a whole lot of flair to his game, but he's just, uh, you know, he looks so comfortable doing everything. And I like watching, you know, Mike Trout kind of just look invincible. You know, he doesn't have any kind of flash to his game, but it's just, it kind of adds, to me, it adds to his, uh, I guess, mystique a little bit that, you know, he just is programmed to be the, you know, baseball's best player alive. And, you know, if, you know um, Adrian Beltre and Felix Hernandez jawing back and forth, you know, you want you can't imagine everybody doing that, but you know, guys who have that relationship and personalities clash like that. Jose Bautista being kind of a, um, you know, the bat flips and being kind of a jerk. That's within 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 him. And you know, I wouldn't want to see a league full of Batistas, but you know, one every once in a while makes everything interesting. You know, and it ends up with a fist at second base, which I kind of enjoy, I, like as a writer. I enjoy writing about those clashes of different. Um, different personalities rubbing each other the wrong way. So I'm, I'm for those clashes, and I'm, uh, I like the way it plays on the field. I just, yeah, not a fan of the explanations afterwards. And I think the way that you put it is the right way that everybody should 
take it from now on. Obviously, that's not back to where you like to write about it. Obviously, that's not what beat reporters want to hear, right? They want the quote, man. They got a story mm-hmm. to write. They got a deadline to meet. People are going to want to know what were you thinking on the field. And, uh, you know, maybe you are right, Jim, that moving forward, it's probably best just to say what was said in the field stays on the field. And or they can say what they they can say what they said on the field, um, but you know, just trying to have to explain it how it fits this kind of unwritten code book that keeps getting longer by the day. I think that's that's where it just gets silly. What can't happen though is that in future matchups between the White Sox and Royals, that you're going to start having pitchers throw at hitters. Yeah, and and also with. <laughs> and if you need the manager to break up fights at second base, McEwing is way more qualified to do that Renteria, just <laughs> ground covered. That is <laughs> that is true. That is true. But that's not what I want to see. I do not want to see yeah. the Royals start you know, throwing pitches at Anderson. No way. Cause we've we've seen the captains of attitude Bruaha before. Mm-hmm. That's not fun to watch. That is not fun to watch. Sometimes it is, but not. <laughs> it's not. Well, it's not. Fu- it's fun to write about, so I, I like it from that way. But yeah, it's not. It doesn't reflect well. And it usually, at least with the way we saw it play out last time, it's just a. Um, yeah, there's no greater goal behind it. Well, on the topic of playing baseball the right way, let's preview the <laughs> upcoming series for the Chicago White Sox as they go from Kansas City to St. Louis for a two-game series. Against the Cardinals. The Cardinals are 15 and 12 on the year. They're one and a half games behind the Pittsburgh Pirates, who ended April leading the National League Central just slightly. They're a half game ahead of the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs are one game ahead of the Cardinals for second place in the division. And your pitching problems for this series Tuesday night, first pitch is at 7 15 p.m. Central Time. It is James Shields against Michael Waka, who's won four straight starts. And on Wednesday at 12.15 p.m. Central Time, lunchtime game, it is Lucas Giolito against Carlos Martinez, who has been lights out since opening day. Uh, Jim, not going to lie, not really confident in these two games for the White Sox because uh, the Cardinals are obviously there's a big talent gap between the, the Cardinals and the White Sox, and the Cardinals are throwing two of their best starting pitchers against the White Sox in this mini-series. What are you looking forward to out of this series? Yeah, it's, it looks a lot like the Houston series, and that's, you know, it, the pitching matchups did not look favorable, um, and it certainly played out like that in the field, although, yeah, hopefully, you know, there's nothing like the Farquhar incident that just kind of puts everything in a, you know, just makes it really impossible to compare to other series. But, yeah, just the pitching matchups don't size up well. The Cardinals are playing well and, and, you know, playing well even with, like, you know, a guy like Dexter Fowler not doing anything and Yadier Molina looking a bit on the older side. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. And I think really out of, more than anything, you know, James Shields is going to be James Shields where he, you know, he throws five or six innings, gives up four or so runs, and, you know, it's not a quality start, but at least it keeps uh, the bullpen in order. Yeah, I think Giolito is really just the important guy to watch. Hopefully, he picks up where he left off on his last start. Also, be fun to watch him swing the bats. You know, that's I guess that's the other thing is you know when you have uh, teams uh, uh, going nationally. I like watching pitcher swing, so we'll see what Giolito's looks like um, uh, this season. But otherwise, yeah, just you know having Giolito throw strikes not um, 
you know, pick up where he left off. Hopefully strike out some more guys, get more swinging strikes. But yeah, having a good start out of him, having him start to string together starts is really the most important thing to take out of the series. Yes. Hopefully he can end the game with more strikeouts than walks because at some point that trend needs to reverse where having 10 more walks, I mean, 21 walks to 11 strikeouts. It's a small sample size when you look over the course of a season, but almost a two to one walk to strikeout ratio for a starting pitcher is not good. So hopefully Lucas Giolito can start getting on a roll as the weather starts to get a lot warmer, especially in the Midwest. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping that the Cardinals, you know, as much as the uh, you know, the White Sox have to play them this year, I am hoping the Cardinals play well because, as we remember, they were my National League champion. Yes, of course. We cannot forget your predictions and what this means to your predictions. Yes, this means a lot to me. <laughs> uh, we'll recap the Cardinals series of this upcoming Sox Machine Live, which will be on Wednesday night on Mixer.com. And, of course, will always be available the following morning, so Thursday morning, for those that listen on the podcast feed. Jim, you and I will reconvene later in P.O. Sox. But coming up next on the Sox Machine Podcast, Joe Weil, the new voice of the Winston-Salem Dash, joins the show to talk about the White Sox hottest minor league affiliate, the Winston-Salem Dash. Before we speak with Joe, a couple of messages from our sponsors. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, plan a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets, especially for the Chicago White Sox. Like I mentioned in the past, I used SeatGeek to find nine tickets to go to a White Sox game. I love on their deal score. It tells me the where I can get the most bang for my buck for every single purchase. And for the upcoming weekend series against the Minnesota Twins as the White Sox come home for their road trip, SeatGeek has terrific deals for those four games against the Twins where tickets start as low as $8 for the Thursday matchup. Friday and Sunday's game, you can find tickets as cheap as $5. And on Cinco de Mayo for Saturday night, tickets start at $17. So SeatGeek has terrific deals for you to go to Chicago White Sox games. And the best part is our listeners get to save $20 off their first purchase using SeatGeek by going to either SeatGeek.com or downloading the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone where you could also get digital tickets so you don't have to print tickets. They just scan your phone to get in. Again, download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and use promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. If you wear contact lenses and find yourself dreading that annual appointment to renew your prescription, then you're going to love Simple Contacts. It's a great new company that makes this annoying process, well, simple. Simple Contacts lets you renew your expired contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of lenses from your phone or computer in minutes. Simple Contacts brings a doctor's office to wherever you are whenever you need it. You can take the Simple Contacts vision test online in five minutes, a real doctor reviews it, and renews your prescription. You save time, money, and yourself a headache. And if you have an unexpired prescription, just upload a photo of it 
or your doctor's information and order your lenses in minutes for a great price. They do all the hard work for you. This is Vision Care for the 21st century. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses and their prices are unbeatable. The prescription is just $20. Compare that with an annual appointment, which can be up to $250 without insurance. And they have some of the best prices on contacts and shipping is free. Best of all, Socks Machine listeners get $30 off their first Simple Contacts order. To save $30 on your lenses, just go to simplecontacts.com socks and enter the promo code socks at checkout. Again, to save $30 on your lenses, just go to simplecontacts.com socks and use promo code socks. Also have to mention, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need those occasionally, but it is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. So again, check out Simple Contacts and get $30 off by going to simplecontacts.com socks and enter promo code socks at checkout. A couple of weeks ago, we took a visit to Birmingham in our feature, Magic City. On this week's show, we'll take a deep dive look at the most exciting White Sox minor league team to start 2018, and that's the Winston-Salem Dash. Multiple walk-off wins, great play from the outfield prospects, and we've already seen one significant promotion with Dane Dunning now with Birmingham. Joining us to talk all things about the Dash is the new voice of the Dash. It's Joe Weil, and hello, Joe. Thanks for coming on the Sox Machine podcast. Yeah, no problem at all, Josh. Thanks for having me. It's been a fun start in 2018 for the Dash. What do you think has been the biggest contributor to the team's success early on? It's definitely been the offense. And you mentioned the outfield prospects at the top there. And and it's really been those guys leading the charge. I mean, it is unbelievable just to see the talent uh, on this Dash ball club. And and it comes down really to those outfielders leading the way offensively. Uh, You have Joel Booker leading the Carolina League in average right now. Mike Rodolfo is tied atop at this current point. Uh, in home runs, and he's also leading the league in RBIs. Luis Basabe, he's you know he's leading the league in slugging percentage right now. I mean, it is unbelievable to see what those guys are doing. Also, Alex Call starting to come on. Blake Rutherford, the same case. And Winston-Salem is right now at this current point unequivocally the best offensive team uh, in the Carolina League. They're leading the league in average on base percentage, slugging percentage, home runs, hits, uh, you name it. And it's been the biggest key to their success to start um, in this 2018 campaign. It's been a lot of fun to watch them just hit against the best pitchers in the Carolina League and really kind of come every day with that attitude, thinking that they can do something well offensively. We've seen a ton of 10-hit games or more so far. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. And you talk to the players about it just being in the lineup every day. And they say it's a lot of fun to be a part of. New manager Omar Vizquel, he's been a first base coach in the major leagues. Obviously a storied career playing shortstop in the major leagues. And now he's getting a chance to show his managerial chops with the dash. When you have spoken to him, Joe, what is Vizquel's attitude towards managing the Winston-Salem dash? It's been it's been great. Uh, he wanted to come down here and do this. Omar, since he was a player, uh, has always wanted to be a manager, and he spent four years with the Tigers on their staff. Uh, but when there was a new staff coming in, he was his contract was up, uh, and he went actually to the White Sox and was seeking a job with them. And with Willie Harris getting a job in the Giants system, Willie was our manager last year, there was an opening in Winston-Salem, and 
he was offered that and he decided to take it. He kind of knew it would be different, obviously, riding buses instead of taking planes like he had for so many, uh, you know, for so many years in the big leagues. But it, it's, it was something he wanted to do. And I think once he, he, he wrapped it around his head that he was coming to Winston-Salem and, and it, it being high A instead of being a Bay League job, um, I, I think he was all for it. And he's shown a great attitude with the players. I think it's a good experience for him, too, just to learn a couple of different things about managing, like setting a BP time and, and, and kind of the little nuanced things that you don't think about necessarily on an everyday basis. I think that's been great for him, but his attitude has been, has been unbelievable. And I think the players really like playing for him because here he is, this big name. He's Omar Vizquel, you know, a likely hall of famer. And he's also a great guy and, and someone that keeps it really loose around the clubhouse. I mean, he, he said it before he wants to keep it loose. He also of course wants to keep it professional and make sure that these guys are getting better. And I think you've seen a good mix of those two things throughout the beginning of this season. It's been, it's been fun to see him just kind of step into this new realm and see the players' reactions to him. The middle infielders are in awe, I think, of the fact that they're playing for a guy like Omar Vizquel, but they're enjoying the experience. Same with the pitchers, same with the players, um, and, and it, it's made for a good mix. Dane Dunning had a terrific start with the Dash. Mentioned that he's already been promoted to Birmingham. He's already made one start with the Barons. In his four starts this year with the Dash, he had a 2.59 ERA with 31 strikeouts to just three walks, which is a great recipe if you ever want to get promoted in the minor leagues. On the mound, how did Dunning look to you, Joe? He looked great. I mean, it was one of those situations where you kind of understood, okay, the Birmingham rotation is already set in place in many ways, and, and that's the reason he started out with us. I think we were a little surprised he was back with us, but then you look at that situation, you understand it a little bit more. And it was also a deal where he's not going to be here very long. He performs, he's going to be up in double A in no time, and that's obviously what happened. Uh, the biggest difference that I saw was in his curveball. He's, he has a new grip on it. It's a spike curve, and he was learning that from James Shields. It was interesting. I talked to him after his first start, and he was just telling me that, that he was talking with, with James about, uh, you know, just grips on his curveball. He asked, hey, how do you do it? And James told him that this is how he did it. And he said it, it was really working for him in spring training. And then you would see it in, in, his, in his four starts with us to start the year. And it looked great. And, and a big difference from last year, Dane's good at, you know, he, he's good at mixing in his pitches. You know, he doesn't have like the plus-plus fastball like Michael Kopech does, but He's really smart in the mound. He's, he's able to mix his pitches in really well. And that one, to me, was the biggest reason why you saw the uptick in strikeouts, 31 through 24 in the third innings, as, as, as you mentioned there. It was, it was cool to see him kind of develop that, also learn that from a guy like James Shields. And it kind of goes to show like what it's like or what it means to have good guys at the major league level. James Shields, I know the results on the mound haven't been there for him just just in terms of a statistical standpoint, but you have his influence there. I mean, he's not the only guy, Dane, that's, that's gotten advice from James Shields. Dylan Cease talked to us and, and said, hey, he, he learned something from James Shields as well. So um, it, it helps when you have guys like that at the big league level that are willing to teach the younger guys things. And for Dane, that curveball has been, that curveball's been on point so far, and he's already got a win at the AA level too. Yeah, James Shields, we talked about on this show. I think he's got a future as a pitching coach because Lucas Giolito. Yeah, I think he does. I think he does too. Yeah, Dane Dunning, as you mentioned, Dylan Cease. So if it doesn't work out after this year and he doesn't get another pitching job, 
Uh, I wonder if Don Cooper <laughs> will hire James Shields to help out. <laughs> right, right. Bring him on staff. I mean, it, it's funny, though, because all these guys are learning from him. And, and he's, like I said, you see the value of just that in itself. Off the mound, you guys have been doing a terrific job with the Dash of Everything podcast, which I highly recommend every White Sox fan to subscribe to. Uh, Dunning off the mound comes off as someone who really understands the art of pitching. Do you think his mentality to his craft is as important or maybe even more important than the physical talent that he possesses? I would say yes. I mean, the the one thing I would say about Dane and, and getting to know him, because I was with the team last year and, and then, you know, of course, starting off the year as the lead guy um, in Winston-Salem this year, unbelievable person and also very positive. I mean, the thing was, I, I had never really seen a start get to him off the mound. He always came back into the bus with a really positive attitude. And it was almost if he, as if he did throw seven shutout innings every night. And I think that's going to take him a long way. He's got a really good attitude when it comes to just just the game and and just being thankful for for playing the game. I mean, even when he started with us, he could have he could have pouted about being a double a, or being with us instead of being with the Barons. And that's not what happened. He 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 said to me, he said, "Listen, I get to get, play baseball for a living. Like it's going to work itself out. The White Sox have a plan for me, and I'm just going to take it one day at a time." Now that may sound cliche to the average listener, but that's really the kind of guy Dane is. He, he's he's pretty easygoing off the mound, and I think that is actually a good thing for him. Uh, the thing is, when he steps in between the lines, he transforms into a bulldog. I mean, that guy wants to win more than anybody, and and that that translated into the way he pitched. So yeah, maybe the the plus plus fastball is not there, but as I said, he's got the curveball now that he's working on, and that's what the minor leagues are for too. You mix in, you know, you learn a couple different things and you try out new pitches and you figure out what works and 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 what doesn't work, frankly. And I think Dane has that understanding, that baseball understanding, uh, that will take him a long way when it comes to pitching. I I, I really have nothing but high hopes for that guy because he's got, he's got the makeup. He does have the stuff too. Um, and I, and I think that'll bode well for him going forward. Dylan Cease, his stuff, I don't think is fair for the Carolina league, (laughs) but we have heard in Chicago that a big focus for Dylan Cease is that he needs to get extended starts. He needs to at least pitch five innings every start or maybe even get extended beyond that how has Cease looked so far to start the year, and how is he faring after the fourth inning when he is making his starts? Yeah, and and, and that's a good point that you bring up. I, in the beginning of his starts, I mean, the guy is unhittable. I mean, he's just blowing hitters away. And it was interesting, through his first three starts, uh, the opposing team uh, had not had a hit through the first three innings. It was after that point where, where he would start to either tire a little bit or, or some things may happen. Um, I'd say with Nick's results, I, in his second start, which was a home start against the Carolina Mudcats, uh, he went six innings. He, he wasn't getting tired at all. I mean, he was dominant. I mean, he was just shoving. But the first game, he had a bad luck fifth that sort of spiraled on him. There was a, you know, a couple walks mixed in. Um, he ends up giving up five runs in the fifth inning against the Mudcats in his opening start, but only two of those runs were earned. And then you look at his last start um, for, for Dylan, and very, very odd. I mean, it was funny talking to him after the game. I mean, he said just as much. It was just an interesting outing. He goes three and two-thirds innings. He allows 
three uh, three runs, but none earned. But he walked six, and while striking out six, so you see just kind of the difference in and his stuff is there. It's just sometimes the walks get mixed in, and it's all about uh, just extending him. But I, I'd say it's a mixed result so far in terms of just getting past the fifth thing. The stuff is there. He can clearly dominate Carolina League hitters, as you mentioned, Josh. I, and, and I think in, in, in no time, too, he'll be able to extend himself even more. Um, but he, it's still a work in progress with Dylan, I think, on that front. The one thing I would say to that is that we had Alec Hansen last year, too. And, I mean, that guy, kind of the same deal in that his stuff was unhittable. Uh, but he had to extend himself. He had to learn to not go deep with his pitch counts. And that happened for him um, over time during his short tenure in Winston-Salem. So I would project the same thing for Dylan just because of his stuff, the way he's pitched, and also the way he's dominated. Here in the early goings, he's only got four starts at the high level, um, but we've seen the flashes of brilliance, no doubt about it. Let's talk about this outfield log jam, and it's going to be more crowded when Luis Robert is healthy. Starting with Blake Rutherford, he was a prospect of White Sox fans before the season started, was concerned about if he was going to hit for enough power. Uh, Joe, after the first month, are you seeing more power from Blake Rutherford? You know, I'm not, but it helps when you're hitting 349. (laughs) That kind of of masks it a little bit um, in terms of the power numbers. He's done a really good job, though, of spraying the ball all around the field. He had a four-hit game for us back in the home opener. He he was going, you know, opposite way with it really well, stroking it up the middle. Um, So the power numbers haven't, haven't necessarily been there. Um, he's got, he's got double, I mean, he's got gap to gap ability, of course. And, uh, we've seen that with, with, with Blake so far in Winston-Salem, but the power hasn't been there yet. But like I said, you make up for that, for the fact that you're able to spray the ball all across the field. I mean, and you look at his Canapolis numbers last year. I mean, he struggled with that as well. I think he's starting to feel more comfortable in this white Sox system. I think last year with the trade with that, 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 was just a lot for him to process because he grew up rooting for the Yankees as well. Um, and, and I think we forget to a trade sometimes just, just like you expect the performance to be the same, but you forget about all the mental stuff that a player has to go through when they get traded, especially someone as young as, as, as Blake um, was when he was traded over from the Yankees to the, uh, the White Sox. So, I, I think he's starting to feel more relaxed. I think he, he's starting to realize he doesn't have to let the expectations of being a former first-round pick weigh on him as much as uh, as it used to. Um, and, and it's showing. Like I said, he's, he's hitting 349. That's second in the Carolina League at this current point. Um, and, and, yes, the power numbers aren't there. Um, but he's also at a new level, and, and, and maybe that will come around with more time played in Winston-Salem. Luis Wasabe has hit a few home runs as he looks completely different player from the 2017 season. Has Wasabe said what has been working for him differently? And is there something that you've noticed differently from Wasabe this year than last year? I think the biggest difference is just the fact that he is healthy. Um, Last year, he was dealing with a knee injury from late April on, and that really affected him. And in talking with him, just about the difference from last year to this year, he has said it, he just has his legs under him now and he swings, and that's been a huge difference for him. And and when when you have an injury like that, you, you, you probably are thinking about it every day too. And I think for Luis, last year was sort of a microcosm of just a couple of different factors playing in. I mean, it's kind of the same thing I mentioned with Blake Rutherford. 
you, you forget the psyche of trying, you know, when you get traded from one organization to the next, there's a couple of different things you have to go through. And, and for him, he was traded the same season as his twin brother. He comes to a new organization. There's expectations on him as one of the top prospects. So I think it was that being at, a, at the high level for an extended period of time. He played, I think it was five games for Salem the year before, uh, but a new level for him. And then you couple all that with a knee injury that, 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 ended up hobbling him for a good portion of the year. I think that it was just a mix of those three things. And, and now this year we're seeing a completely different player. And Luis just looks so relaxed at the plate. I mean, everything he's hitting is hard and playing great defense as, as he did. And, and he mentioned to me that being in big league spring training too was uh, a huge confidence boost for him as well. He said he hit really well during his time there and, and got to be around, you know, other guys and, and just being able to thrive in that type of environment has set the tone for his season now where he's, I mean, you can make the case that he has been the best player in the Carolina league I, in terms of, you know, offensive numbers. And, and that's, that's, that's striking to say in, in some ways, just because we've had so many good hitters so far, but Basabe, I mean, he's getting on base a ton, the slugging percentages there, he's, He's hitting for doubles. He's hitting for triples. He's got. He's mixed in three home runs as well. Um, it, it's been it's been great to see. And and you look at the trade now that the White Sox made for for Chris Sale. I mean, you have Yohan Mankato, who's you know starting second baseman for the White Sox, starting to swing a better bat. You got Michael Kopech, who's waiting in the wings in AAA. But that third piece in Basabe, if he ends up being a major leaguer, like that, looks like a great deal for Rick Hahn and company. And the way he's playing right now, I mean, I I think we've talked about this, my broadcast partner, Jake Eisenberg and I, but it's one of those things at some point, Robert's going to be on this roster. And with that, there could be a log jam there. Who would you send up to double a? And I guess the answer would be Basabe at this point, just because he's spent time here and, and the way he's dominating. I, I still don't know. And that'll be up to the white Sox brass to figure out and good luck to them because it is because <laughs> we have a lot of talented guys, but, Basabe has been great to watch, and it's cool to see him play healthy because you start to see this is why the White Sox traded for him, um, and and it's been a fun start for him. Yeah, that was actually one of our Patreon Friends of the Podcast questions from Andrew Seagull. Which outfielders do you expect to follow Dane Dunning to Birmingham? And you mentioned Basabe. Are you expecting to see all of these guys last all year in Winston-Salem, or do you expect – uh, a great shift in roster movement between Winston-Salem and Birmingham after the first half? Um, I would probably lean, in in most cases, to the latter part of that. Uh, you know, the, the thing about the minor leagues, though, is is you can perform as well as, you, you, as humanly possible at one level, but you need some player movement to then bring those players up. Um, and that was the, obviously the situation with our starters, as I mentioned earlier with Dane. Um, I would expect at least half these guys staying in Winston-Salem for a good majority of the year, maybe till August. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if some of these guys go up at, at the end of the first half, kind of like what you saw with Kannapolis last year and, and us where you had a huge uh, amount of player movement. And, you know, you got a guy like Basabe hitting as well as he is. If he continues to, to keep this up or something close to it. I, I wonder the value of continuing to keep him here at the high level because he's already played a season here. Um, another, another, I guess, candidate for that would be Joel Booker if he continues to play the way he has. 
same same situation. He played 50, I think it was 52 games here um, with Winston Salem last year. If he's continuing to dominate the way he has been, you keep him. You, you, you keeping him here just doesn't make any sense. You want to bring him up, especially because he was drafted as a senior as well. I would say Blake Rutherford. I'd say Mike Rodolfo for the most part, and then and then of course Luis Robert. Those guys will be with Winston Salem for the majority of the year. Of course, Robert can exceed expectations, and that would not be a surprise at all. And same with Miker, too, because Miker's been hitting the cover off the baseball. The only thing with him is that he can't play defense due to that injury to his right elbow. Um, so they'd have to have a spot for him where they could get him significant at-bats being a designated hitter. Um, but that wouldn't be a surprise either. So uh, I, kind of, I kind of circled around that question. Um, so I will say that I could see all these guys being up at, at double, you know, double-A Birmingham at some point this season. Um, but we'll see, uh, you know, these guys, you know, it's, it's, it's still early, but the, the early returns have been positive and, uh, we're enjoying them while they're here in Winston-Salem, but I, I could see all five of them, uh, at this point. And, and that includes Alex Call, if he's, you know, if he continues to improve, like he has a bit as of late, um, I could see all five of them, you know, moving up to Birmingham, but of course it, it's all about there being spots available for those guys. And you also want to make sure that they're getting their reps because, if you move them up and there's no spot for them, you're, you're kind of impeding their development in a lot of ways. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Barons. That could create um, spots for our, uh, our really talented outfield. I'm glad you brought up Mike Adolfo because White Sox fans have been wondering what the plan is with Adolfo and his elbow. Joe, do you know what the game plan is with Adolfo? Is surgery still on the table? Is he really just going to DH all year and the White Sox will address the elbow in the offseason? You know what 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 we've been told and, and what Mike said is is that they're just gonna kind of roll with it. Um, you know he's gonna continue to hit throughout the season and 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 they're gonna kind of play it by ear essentially to see if if there is anything that comes up with the elbow in terms of the hitting and and that's because Rick Hahn and company they want to make sure he doesn't lose another year of development and you know by sidelining him with surgery, I mean you look at the results he's having at the plate right now. And you're like, man, look, he's still he's doing this at the high level. This is a new this is a new spot for him, um, and and he's still dominating. And even with this injury, which he says doesn't affect him when he's hitting, so I, the plan is to just continue to kind of roll with this and then kind of deal with it when when it when it comes up. Um, and and I think you know there was some. I guess questions about the health and and how that would transpire, but. If, the, if it's not affecting him while hitting, it doesn't make sense, I think, in, in the, the thought of the White Sox front office brass to take away that year from him, uh, a chance to, to continue to grow, especially coming off a really successful season with Loe Canapolis last year, where he started to put it all together after experiencing injuries the years before that. So the thought is to just continue to roll with this, continue to see how it feels for Mike And if they have to shut him down, they have to shut him down. But Right now, he's raking, and it's not affecting him at the plate. And that was a fan question that we did get in about Adolfo's injury and how it's impacting his approach from as in rec. And uh, they're asking, Joe, have his adjustments at all been to reduce pain in the joint, or do you think the injury is unrelated to his offensive breakthrough? I don't think it's it's related at all um, to his offensive breakthrough. Like I said, he's... He has mentioned to me that it it hasn't affected him when it comes to swinging. It's just when he throws. That's why they're they're not putting him out there in, <laughs> in the outfield. Excuse me. Um, but 
and hasn't it hasn't affected him to the point where he's he's adjusting the way he's swinging or anything like that. I think he's just continuing to grow. And you know, the White Sox signed him when he was 16 years old. He's so young at that point, and he's just starting to develop in terms of like his body and also just his his mental approach at the plate. Um, and he says he's a lot more mature compared to last year. And he was one of the best players for that Intimidators team last year. So it's just him continuing to grow, um, kind of, you know, showing the promise that the White Sox saw in him when they, they signed him um, as an international, you know, free agent in 2013. So it, it's been fun to see it kind of all come together. And, and it's one of those situations where some guys, are, you know, are prodigies in that they can be signed at a really young age and get to the big leagues at the age of 20. Mike Gurr's development has just been a little slower than that, but at the same token, it has been development, and the numbers clearly showed in Winston-Salem. And finally, Joe, who is someone on the dash that White Sox fans don't know a lot about, but we should be paying attention to? Uh, I'm going to go with a starter here, uh, Bernardo Flores. Uh, he's got four starts under his belt. Uh, the numbers so far haven't been amazing. Uh, he's 1-1 one one with a 4.30 ERA, but really talented arm, guy that really thinks the game out. Um, uh, it's funny. <laughs> we, in Wilmington, we're in Wilmington right now, and, and Bernardo loves the game of baseball, I think, more than any player I've, I've covered so far. And he actually just picked up – it was funny. We were walking on the concourse back to the press box, and um, I see Bernardo in his full Winston-Salem gear – coming out of the, the team store and I'm like, what are you doing? And he, and he said, uh, he said he, he got a new pennant because he'd been collecting pennants around the Carolina league. Um, and yeah, it's pretty cool. And, uh, and so he, so he got his final one. He had never been to Wilmington. So he was pretty excited that he completed his collection, but there's a guy that loves the game of baseball. He was a seventh round pick in 2016. And, uh, He's been uh, he's he's been solid for us. He's been giving us length, which you know when you're developing pitchers in the minor leagues, you don't see that from guys. But Bernardo has done a good job of at least giving us a lot of innings. I mean, he, he's gone at least five in his first four starts. He went six in the first three, um, and and he's been he's been solid. He's a returner from last year too, but he's got some good stuff. Also, going with another starter, Jimmy Lambert. I mean, last night his changeup was just unbelievable. He was a fifth round pick in 2016, and Wilmington just couldn't hit him and that's two outings for us this season where he has looked unhittable in his first one against Myrtle Beach he allowed just one hit and yesterday it was two hits with uh nine strikeouts to go along with it and he he's coming back as well but you talk about this glut of uh, of starting pitching that made Dane Dunning start out here you still got some great arms with with those two plus plus uh plus Dylan Cease and just to give you one uh guy that offensively has gotten off to a good start that people may not know about uh, is Mitch Roman, an infielder for us. Uh, he's already got two home runs. Uh, he's got an OPS just shy of 900. He's hitting 321. He was a 12th-round pick out of Wright State. Um, he's someone that has just talked about how amazing it is to play for Omar Vizquel because he grew up watching him as a middle infielder. Um, but he's been, he's been really solid to start for us um, to begin up this 2018 campaign. And that's kind of the funny thing is we keep talking about the outfielders but you have a couple of other guys who are really hitting like him. And then you have German Mercedes who's just shy of 300. I mean, it, it goes on and on. Jason Irizarry, um, another name, he had a home run yesterday and was acquired for international signing bonus pool money last year. Um, so you asked for one, I've given you like six, um, but there's a lot of talent here in Winston-Salem and, uh, 
And I, and I think that the White Sox fans will see that the, the, the big name prospects, those guys are the real deal. But then there's also some other names to, to keep an eye on as well. And that's been part of the reason why the Dash have been the most exciting team to follow in the minor leagues for the Chicago White Sox to start 2018. You can follow Joe on Twitter. He's at Joe underscore Weil. And listen to the Dash of Everything podcast on iTunes, or you can go to ws-dash.com. I highly recommend it because these guys sit down with the White Sox prospects, and we get to know them a lot better through the podcast. So I highly recommend listening to that show. And, of course, listen to Joe's call of Winston-Salem Dash Baseball on TuneIn Radio or watch via the MILB at Bat app like I do. And Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Sox Machine podcast and hope to have you on later in the season to give us an update on what's going on with the Dash. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the time, Josh. Now it's time for the Minor League Report, taking a look at recapping the month of April for the Chicago White Sox Minor League Affiliates. The Charlotte Knights are mostly about what Michael Kopech does every five days, and his next start is against the Gwinnett Braves on Tuesday. Charlie Tilson is closing out his April with a 544 OPS, but he was expected to start slowly. The hope is that Tilson's 4 for 4 performance on the base paths suggests his legs are still a plus attribute, and the bat will come around in May. Casey Gillespie doesn't really have an excuse after hitting 213 and slugging 270 to start the season, and that's why he was outrighted. And the most intriguing position player at the moment for the Knights might be Eddie Alvarez. The former Olympic speed skater started the season on the disabled list and has only played in six games, but he's hitting 353 with more walks than strikeouts. Jace Fry also started his year late, but he's been lights out since joining the action in Charlotte with eight strikeouts to just three hits and no walks allowed over five and a third innings. Down in Birmingham, the big bats are starting to heat up. Zach Collins has a six-game hitting streak that raised his average from .054 to 190, and he's also walked five times in a row. He leads the Southern League in walks. Eloy Jimenez is also starting to find his groove, homering in consecutive games to close out the week. He started the year 0-for-10, but he's broken off the rust, and now he's hitting .290 over the last eight games. With Sebi Savala leading the Barons in most of the important offensive categories, Tito Polo is the next prospect who seems like he should get it going. He's hitting 213 with a 278 on base percentage, and every time it looks like that he's getting into a rhythm, a couple hitless games set him back. He's stolen eight bases in nine attempts despite the problems reaching base, so his speed is evident. The Barons' experienced pitching staff hasn't yet gelled, as Spencer Adams and Jordan Guerrero are still looking for their first quality start after 10 starts between them, while Dane Dunning is one for one in that category since getting the promotion. Ian Clarkin has also regressed after impressive outings early. Jordan Stevens is still the early favorite to be the first to be promoted to AAA as his problems stem more from poor defensive support than anything else. In the bullpen, with Colton Turner getting promoted to AAA, Ian Hamilton is the next best thing going. Six of his seven outings have been scoreless, and he struck out 12 batters to just seven base runners allowed over nine and a third innings. In Winston-Salem, Luis Masabe is the last of the Winston-Salem outfielders with a four-digit OPS. He's hitting 313 with a 400 on base percentage and slugging 614. 
Everybody else has regressed slightly, although Joel Booker, Blake Rutherford are still hitting comfortably over 300. Mike Rodolfo has a Yohan Mikata thing going on. His three strikeout game on Sunday was the fourth of the season, but he manages to shrug them off pretty quickly. As a whole, Winston-Salem leads the Carolina League in all three slash categories, including a 45-point lead in slugging percentage. Pitching-wise, with Dane Dunning getting the call to Birmingham, there isn't anybody else knocking on the door. We talked about Dylan Cease with Joe Weil, as he's the most compelling pitcher in town, but he still needs to conquer his in-game endurance issues. Jimmy Lambert threw six shutout innings for the most impressive turn through the rotation, and Bernardo Flores has been decent, but at the moment, nobody's really jumping off the page. Canapolis has cooled down as a team after winning six straight games, but Luis Gonzalez is still on a roll. He's hitting 357 with six walks over his last 10 games, but it'll be hard for him to go anywhere until that logjam at Winston-Salem loosens up. Otherwise, Carlos Perez is the other hitter to watch. He's always been a gifted contact hitter, but it came at the cost of his power as his slugging percentage barely cracked 300 last year. That's why it's nice to see four extra base hits over his first nine games of the year. Lincoln Hensman and Cade McClure both had mediocre outings last week on the mound, leaving John Park as the last starter with unbelievable run prevention numbers. The 21st round pick out of South Carolina has allowed just 30 base runners over 29 innings, holding opponents to a 1.86 ERA and a 206 batting average against. That's it for the minor league report. Now on to P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Machine or posting your questions on patreon.com slash machine for those that are a friend of the podcast. And joining me again on the podcast is Jim Margulis. And Jim, uh, the first question that we have here in the mailbag kind of comes back to the conversation we had earlier in the show about Tim Anderson. And the question comes from Monica. And Monica is asking, will Tim Anderson be a target for fun police again. I think so. Um, I guess we can kind of use this as a prediction. Uh, yeah. Uh, set an over-under for incidents over the rest of the season. I might put that over-under at 2.5. Who boy. Because yeah, got, we got five months left and we had two in one month. And given that, and, and I think some will be, as we talked about, like with pitchers like Verlander, just, you know, natural red-ass pitchers who, you know, have their own way of getting fired up versus Anderson's way of getting fired up. And those clashes play out. Um, yeah, I can see them, you know, sneering at the base paths and snarling and, and having words for Anderson as they cross paths and maybe, you know, being asked about it after the game. So if you don't count that as fun police, you know, just these natural personality clashes, then, you know, maybe I'd say there might be one more unwritten rule lecture. But, you know, like I said before, you're talking about, you know, Perez and Verlander or whatever. I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't call it fun police if it's just players being themselves and personalities clashing at the moment. I just think... What defines this fun police is the lectures afterwards, and I think there are at least a couple more over the rest of the season. I don't know if I could talk about this topic three more times, Jim, this year. Yeah, we just need like a uh, – um, yeah, maybe just put in a sound effect for it. 
like the Char- <laughs> Charlie Brown teacher or something like that. <laughs> That's a good idea. I'll have to find that sound clip. Monica, great question. Thank you so much for submitting it. Our next question, Jim, comes from Mark Cope. And Mark is asking, the pitching staff strikeout-to-walk ratio, especially the starters, is at best worrisome and at worst historically bad. Is there any hope aside from regression that things will get better? Well, I guess, you know, depending on how you define historically bad, if you go back to like World War Two or dead ball era type stuff, you get pitchers who, you know, walk twice as many as they struck out. So, uh, you know, I think you might have to define it to a bit more modern in order to be historic, but that's me pedantic. Um, when it comes to the White Sox pitching staff, I would say that, you know, part of it is James Shields probably is going to have, you know, walks and strikeouts are going to look like as long as he has, as he has to be like a curveball dependent pitcher the way he has been. Um, you know, this, this month where he has to be a junk balling ready. I think there will be a lot of walks and not a lot of strikeouts. Uh, Carson Fulmer, I think, you know, based on the way he's thrown so far, um, you know, he's, he's not bad, at least in the last two starts. You know, there's a working pitcher there. I think it's just more a matter of he tends to have one start that kind of erases the progress. And, uh, you know, that kind of leaves it up to Lopez and Giolito. And I think – I want to say it was on a broadcast. I tried Googling it. It didn't show up. Uh, it might have been Jason Benetti talking about it where he said that, you know, with the seams, with the new baseballs, that, you know, makes it easier to throw changeups and harder to throw big breaking balls. And so maybe that's where Giolito and Lopez are, you know, when they came up to the majors, um, you know, through the Washington system, they're known as fastball curveball pitchers. And now they've had to, you know, they both added sliders. Lopez's has improved nicely this season. Uh, both of their changeups have been kind of um, surprises for the White Sox uh, in terms of how often they use it and uh, their success with it. But you know, maybe that's part of the adjustment period is you know having to learn how to incorporate the slider and, and the optimal times to use it, optimal times to use the changeup, the, the trust in both of those pitches to make up for the lack of the wipeout curveball, you know, being there, and and, uh, and also just like the curveball for you know catching strikes um you know getting swings or foul balls early in the count you know maybe that's not there for him so i think there that's part of the maturation process and adjustment process for these two pitchers and i'd imagine by the end of the season i don't think they'll be strikeout monsters you know like maybe i don't think they'll be 200 strikeout a year guys at this point maybe not even next year but when it comes to their you know how they fare in strikeouts versus walks i imagine that'll uh, you know, those scales will tip. I think Lopez is pretty much close to there. Um, yeah, and, and he just had the one big strikeout game that, um, you know, when you look at his other four starts, they're a bit closer and, and his numbers are a bit more worrisome. But I think, you know, th- that'll separate for him. I think Giolito just is more a matter of confidence slash mechanics, um, you know, getting everything uh, lined up physically and mentally. Um, and, and based on, you know, what we've seen from him, what we see from big pitchers, you know, how that can escape from him you know he's not quite in the clear yet but we've seen the talent before and his ability to get through starts even when he's when he doesn't have his best stuff and i think that'll come back to him and if he can find that arm slot he was using in that release point he was using in in the cactus league uh you know perhaps uh those numbers will tip for him as well mark thank you so much for your question our next question comes from as in rec and as in rec is asking jim what accounts for for the decline in adam engel's defense from 2017 to April of 2018. Well, when you look at his numbers, he was, um, uh, you know, above average in pretty much all respects. Um, when it comes to his defensive metrics, not including his arm, uh, this year both defensive run saves saved and ultimate zone rating do not like him. Statcast is still, you know, okay with him. He outs above average. He's above average in that regard. But when you look at his numbers, um, 
you know, last year he was when, when you look at Statcast's catch ratings, you know, they have a one to five star concept for their catches. Uh, Angle was really impressive last year on tough catches. He was 13 for 29. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure how they define opportunities, you know, for these tough catches versus balls that are uncatchable. But Sackhouse said that Angle uh, was 13 for 29 in four and five star catches combined last year. This year he's just one for nine, and that's a huge, <laughs> a huge drop in percentage. And, you know, I, I think that does, uh, you know, as much as I don't exactly know what those numbers mean, I think we've seen them, and that he's made some, he's, he's closed the gap on some bad balls. You know, run them down to the warning track and just not been able to secure it. Uh, you know, clinging out his mitt, going off the top of his, his mitt, overrunning it on the warning track, kind of losing his bearings. Um, and, you know, I think that, that digs him a little bit. Also, I I haven't seen these numbers released yet by the, Statcast or baseball info solutions guys yet, but I know Angle plays one of the shallower center fields in in baseball. Uh, I know that Jacob May did last year. I think the White Sox like to do that philosophically for their better center fielders or their more toolsy center fielders because uh, you know their philosophy is that um, they want pitchers to be rewarded for bad contact. So if they get a jam shot to center field, they would like the center fielder to try to flag that down. If they give up a bullet. Uh, you know, dead center or, you know, the, to the alleys, they're fine with those being hits you know, or, or, you know, or they expect the center fielder can only do so much with those. So they'd rather reward the pitchers for bad contact. And while I think that kind of makes sense uh, in theory, or at least kind of emotionally, I don't know if it's always the smartest move just in terms of bases given up and, and that the balls in the warning track are doubles and the ones that fall in front of angle are singles. You know, I'm not sure if the trade-off always works and May's defensive metrics during his month in some of the majors were awful because he was playing really shallow center and just didn't catch a lot. And I think angle might be part of the same thing, just where he's not making the sensational catches that he made last year. He's, he's made some nice ones. He's had some nice games where, He's had to cover a lot of ground and done so, but he hasn't made the awesome catches that prop up his numbers against maybe uh, the catches and bases he gives up that he would have prevented if, if he were playing a little bit deeper. I agree with that. And, you know, there are plays like what happened at Toronto where he just simply dropped the ball and his arm. He, he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, especially to be playing in center field. It'll be some, that's something I'm going to be watching for because if this doesn't get better in May, Jim, and now when you got Trace Thompson and Lurie Garcia starting to get more playing time, uh, I, I'm wondering when Adam Engel is going to find time on the field for the White Sox. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Trace kind of tilts the scales because, I mean, Larry's always been there and he's been playing well, you know, more or less, or at least outplaying Engel for the last seven months or so. So when it comes to uh, the playing time there and Trace being somebody who can't be optioned without, you know, having to clear waivers and he hasn't been successful in clearing waivers, um, you know, there just might come a point where there's no point in carrying angle. And that will do it for this week's PO Sox questions. Thank you everyone for submitting your questions to us. If you have a question or a topic that you would like Jim and I to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. You can also sign up to become a friend of the podcast by going to patreon.com slash socks machine. Our friends of the podcast get additional content every single episode on our Monday show this week. They got additional content from Joe Weil who answered more of the fans questions. And you also uh, get additional PO socks questions answered as well that only our Patreon subscribers 
uh, get to listen. So if you are interested in getting more content uh, from Jim and I, uh, then go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up today to become a friend of the podcast and help support socks machine. That will do it for this edition of the socks machine podcast. Again, I want to thank Joe Weil for appearing on the show. I highly recommend listening to the Winston Salem dash podcast, especially if you want to get to know more about these players. Joe does a terrific job sitting down with these guys with, Longer interviews as his recent interview with Dylan Cease is a terrific one. Again, you can find the Dash of Everything podcast in iTunes or go to the Winston-Salem Dash website to listen. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can listen to us in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes and just go to the iTunes store, search Sox Machine. If you do listen to us in iTunes, please leave us a review. Love to hear your feedback about the show. We're also in Spotify. Just search Sox Machine and Spotify and follow us on Spotify to be notified of when new episodes are uploaded. We understand that there's been a problem with the Google Play Music Store and we are currently working on it. But if you are one of those folks that are having problems with Google Play at the moment, you can listen to us on audioboom.com slash machine. We can download the MP3 or you can take the RSS feed and upload it into any podcast platform of your choosing. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.